principles according to Jesus. Now, we're going to be focusing on the Lord's Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. In this sermon, uh, Jesus is starting to give his new followers some of the most important things. If you're going to follow me, here are the most important things. And he starts to lay these things out. These are things that even today we all should know these things if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus. If we're going to be to the point where we say, follow me like I follow Christ, well, how do I follow Christ? We have to know this. And so last week where we started was with the Beatitudes. It was the first part of Matthew chapter 5. But now he moves from the Beatitudes and he starts calling his disciples to be salt and light. And so that, in week two of this series, Life Principles According to Jesus, tonight's topic is salt and light. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together, Lord. What, uh, I know there's all kinds of things going on in the nation, but I still am just, I'm just thankful to be a part of the United States of America where we can worship freely and gather together in a building like this for this purpose. Thank you, God, so very much, Lord Jesus. And, and Father, we pray for direction upon the leaders of our land, Lord God. Put godly men and women in places of authority that can make key decisions for our nation, God. And Lord Jesus, we just pray your favor upon us and our community and our country. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you got to... Try to imagine what this day would have been like as Jesus calls these disciples and he just finished defeating the temptation of the devil in the wilderness in, in Matthew 4. Now, by the end of chapter 4 of Matthew, crowds have started to gather and to follow Christ. And he finally addresses the crowds in Matthew 5 with a lengthy discourse, the lengthiest one in the whole entire book of Matthew. And so Jesus wanted them to know about the rewards of following him, but it wasn't just the rewards. That's what we like to focus on. We love rewards. But it wasn't just the rewards. He immediately starts talking about the cost and his expectations. Because how many of you know when you follow Christ, there are rewards, but there's also a cost and expectations. And so after he starts by speaking on the Beatitudes, he looks at the assembled crowd and we pick up in Matthew 5, 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You, he says, are the light of the world. I'm the salt and I'm the light. He says, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is put on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, just like that light puts on a stand and it gives light to everyone else, in that same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone, you provide light to the world around you. And so everyone around you can praise your heavenly father. Why? Based on what they see in you. And so... Jesus is already letting them know that they will be agents of change, that when he's preparing them, these are going to be his followers, not only while his time is on earth, but when he fills them with his spirit and he ascends into heaven, they are now the ones that are going to be the light and salt in the earth. So he is right from the get-go, he's letting them know there's an expectation. My expectation of you is that you're salt and light. My expectation of you is that when there's darkness around you, you're going to provide light by the way you carry yourselves. And that usually doesn't include winning arguments on Facebook. Salt was used for cleansing and preservation from decay. Jesus thus calls his disciples when he says, you're, you're supposed to be what preserves decay. That's interesting. He calls his disciples, you're going to be part of what is controlling moral decay in our world. And that's still the call for us today. I believe that there is, and I'll, I'll digress here for a minute. Because I believe in my heart that there is increased moral decay today. I think most agree. You're watching online. You're here today. You can say, well, increased moral decay, yes. I, I, would, I would argue that for the most part that's the case. Look at statistics. Look at what is shown on billboards and movies and TV and, and all these things and ad and print ads and what's discussed and what's openly accepted. 
Sure, I, I would say there's probably a little bit of a moral decay. But I would take it a step further because that isn't much of an argument. That's just an observation. But I would say that there's increased moral decay because the world is influencing the Christians more than the Christians doing the influencing. So here he says, you're the disciples. I'm calling you to be salt to preserve things that I've set up to keep decay from happening. I'm calling you to be a light so that you can be on a pedestal and that when there's darkness around you, you can shine light and have an impact that people will know, wow, I did that a few weeks ago where I turned off the lights and I said, one little light doesn't make a huge difference, but when you're sick of darkness enough, you know where to go for the light. And so, and so we're called to be this light in a dark world, but, but who's doing the influencing? Are we the light that's impacting our world? Or is the world now impacting the church? Because I would argue that believers, many believers, I'm not talking about you or Refuge Church or the community or the whole nation. Take it for what, it's will, what, it, what it will and you, you, you just apply it to however you see fit. But believers are bringing Hollywood values and morals right into their living room. And so what's happening is generations are being raised where we're telling kids in Sunday school and over pulpits about what we believe, but then in many homes, what we say we stand against is brought in for entertainment. And so what's happening is there's a moral decay that's eating up the fabric of the Christian home. And so... If we're not careful, we let our children view entertainment and listen to different things that, that are singing and saying and acting out things that are completely contrary to what God says we're supposed to be. And so then our kids, we say, well, we need to go be a light in the world. We need to go change the world and be a light in darkness and, and be salt that preserves God's goodness. But we are, 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 I almost said renting things. Nobody rents anything anymore. I guess you do, but it's all streaming. But we're bringing things before our, our kids' eyes that are promoting moral decay, not necessarily curbing it or stopping it. And so now, I mean, with these devices, you know, back in the day, ministers would just get up and just say, don't have a TV. That was just easy. It was just cut and dry. Now, TV's everywhere. So you can't really just get up and be like, yeah, I don't have a TV. Well, so I'm not going so to plug a screen into a wall. I'm just going to watch it on this. Now, in no way am I preaching for TVs in the home. But what I am saying is we have to learn to control our content and set up safeguards for ourselves and for our kids. Because right now, at the tip of our fingers... Now, I have accountability filtering on my phone, so I, I, I don't have it there. Because why? Because I want to set up safeguards. That's worth the investment to me. But if we don't have a filter, and we can just we can view whatever we want. Listen to whatever we want. And I'll just say, as long as I'm talking about salt and light, because to me, I think this goes hand in hand. Maybe you feel like I'm off on a tangent right now. I'm not. But because it's impossible for our kids to remain faithful to the call to be salt and light when we're bringing things before them that is compromising what they believe and stand for. So if we, I'm already in that, I won't share all my personal business, but I'm already in that debate trying to navigate, you know, my daughter and phones and what is allowed on the phone and in all that conversation, I'm like, man, I, I was 18 before I got a phone, so you can be 18 too. Well, <laughs> but then I realized times have changed, and I have to go, okay, well, how do we navigate this? And so if you're ever praying, you can just pray for me and pray for my family. But uh, I will say that this is not as a dad. This is as a, as a pastor. If you're allowing your kids free reign, 
to phones, to electronic devices, if your children, if your young people, your youth, have computers and iPads and phones in their bedrooms, you'd be safer to let the kids go out and play in the bonfire than to do that. Now, it's interesting because I had planned to talk about this weeks ago, and Pastor Chad and Sister Tiffany are literally downstairs with your youth talking about some of these things about technology, and if you haven't already received it as a parent, you're going to get a packet sent to you because there's all kinds of danger in our world. It's not the church's job or the youth pastor's job to protect your children. It's your job. We're going to do our best to say, hey, let's try and set up some safety. Just so you know, here's what we use. Here's what we don't use. Uh, you need to be aware of these things. Technology's changing. It's shifting. And kids, everybody does it. Kids always, they, that, I use that on my parents too. Never worked on my dad. My mom maybe once in a while, but. My dad say, I don't care. They're not my kids. See, some of you are like, some of you, that's the first time you smiled tonight right there when I said that. Because we all probably had a grandma, a grandpa, a mom, a dad, a guardian that said, they ain't my kids, I don't care what. If you send them to my house, they'll follow my rules too. You know, that's the way it, it went. But I'm just, I want you to be aware of these things. Like, are you giving, if, if you're giving your kids free reign to just like, download apps and jump on apps and electronic devices behind closed doors and they can just jump on and off of video conference calls and Zoom meetings and they can be in groups and con like just be aware of what your kids are watching and listening to and set up safeguards, set up restrictions, set up filters, set up whatever you need to set up. Well, I know, but I just, listen, I'm my kid's parent before I'm their friend. Now, granted, I think that there should be a mutual respect. One of the ways my kids are going to learn respect is I, even as a 12-year-old, an 8, a 9-year-old, a 5-year-old, I'm going to respect them too. So when my kids say why, I don't take that, I don't, I don't take that as like, well, you're, you're attacking me. I'll say, well, let me explain that. And you can say, if they say, I don't agree, I'll say, well, I respect your opinion in that. You're still going to do it because I'm your dad. But I've explained my side. Now I love you and go and do what I just told you to do. So I would suggest if there are electronic devices in your kids' bedrooms that you make changes tonight. Oh, it's not going to be easy. If you thought when you had that child that it was going to be easy any point over the next 18 to 25 years, <laughs> somebody did not get you a memo. Our children need to know that the, what the world calls normal does not make it normal in God's eyes. And so in developing a vessel that's going to be salt to the world and light to the world, we've got to make sure that we're instilling things in our kids and teaching and training them and protecting them. God has called us to be guardians, to be guardians of the sacred. And those children that he's blessed us with are sacred. Those little worshipers and spirit-filled believers and kids that are going to be raised, he, he's going to use them in these today and the next several decades to protect what he's invested in them. And it's not just the kids. If you think you can watch and listen to anything behind closed doors, <laughs> don't be a hypocrite and go tell your kids what they need to do and then you watch different stuff. All right, kids, you need to go to bed because now we're going to watch our movie that's more geared at adults. What does the kid think? So when I get to be a certain age, then I can watch? 
chances are if it's not healthy for them at nine, it's probably not healthy for you at 49. And so we have to have conversations with our kids, just like Jesus had with his disciples right here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where he let them know some of the things you see in this world are not normal and they're not acceptable. Now, we're going to love people. My kids will notice things. We'll go out and, you know, probably had that time or two where somebody's like, what is he doing? Look what she's wearing. Look, did you hear what they said? Shh, quiet. But we try to teach our kids, and in no way, this is great because I can share with you these things as I'm on this journey. So I hope it's not coming off like I've got this all figured out and you just need to follow me. Because my Lord, I'm figuring it out every single day. But it's neat because we're on this journey and it's one that you better believe I'm educating myself and fighting to guard my children. And so we will have these conversations. We need to love people no matter what. They might not live like I do or believe like I do, but we love them. But just because you see these or hear that or your friends talk about that does not mean it's normal or that it's accepted by God. I'm praying that as we, our kids grow up together, that we don't have to have conversations in our homes about what other kids are seeing in the church. Hopefully, we're kind of unified there. But we need to understand, guys, our role God, right from the get-go, he's got the crowd started gathering. He says, here's the Beatitudes. And the first thing he says is, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Meaning, this is a world that decay is naturally going to happen. And I want you to bring preservation. This is a world where darkness is always going to be present. But you're going to be a light. So right off the bat, we have a responsibility, not only for ourselves to be that, but to ensure that the next generation is. There was a common problem in the ancient world, one where salt would get mixed with various impure substances, and it would therefore become worthless as a preservative. So Jesus was getting ready to go into a discussion with him about morals and lifestyle issues. That's where he's getting ready to go as we, as we move forward in this series. But before he gets to that place... He says, just remember, you're the light. You're the salt. He first needed to lay some groundwork, and he was letting them know, if you're willing to let your life mix with the impurities of this world, you're going to lose your ability to be a light in darkness. You're going to lose your ability to preserve when decay happens around you. Because there's something about keeping yourself preserved where you then can preserve others. I don't want to let the, all the toils and sins and snares of the world, we, we, we all sin and come short of the glory of God, but we got we to gotta do our best to guard ourselves, to set up boundaries and safeguards where we say, you know what? I want to be a light. I want to be something that preserves. I don't want to let this in my heart and my mind. And so we have to, we, the church cannot become immoral and thus lose its ability to preserve morality. I'll repeat that. The church can't become immoral and thus lose its ability to preserve morality. Oh, there's a real lack of morality around these parts. There's a real lack of morality in this day and age. I would argue that a lack of morality often starts because the church isn't clinging to morality. So we got to make sure. Guard my heart. Guard my eyes, guard my mind, guard my spirit, guard my ears, guard my hands. God, guard me. And our 9-year-old and 12-year-old and 13-year-old and 15-year-old, they're not quite ready to guard it for themselves yet. And so in a world where we're desperately wanting our kids to not be the oddball or stick out or stand out, we want to love them, we want them to be accepted, don't do it at the expense of them losing their ability to preserve. 
Before Jesus turns to individual moral issues, he first addresses where he, he knew people were getting ready to go about the law of Moses. And, you know, you're just trying to tear down the law. So he says, before we get into anything else, I'm going to address that. Verse 17, he says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, the writings, or the prophets, which that in itself was Jesus putting his stamp of approval on the Old Testament. It's viewing it as inspired. The, the law, the writings, the prophets. That is what the Old Testament was divided up into. And so he's referring back saying, I didn't come to tear that up. I'll tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until his purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice, he does not call his disciples to just obey his laws. He calls us to obey and then to teach them. That's why when he ascends into heaven, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. There is an expectation that Jesus Christ did not die on Calvary, send his spirit, fill you with his spirit, wash away your sins so that you could just obey. Obedience is crucial, it's key, and it's found all throughout the Bible. But there was an expectation, if you're going to be a New Testament disciple, you're going to teach someone else to do the same. And so he, he lays that out there. He says, if you ignore these, you're, anyone who obeys God's laws and then teaches them, he says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right off the bat, Jesus is really endearing himself to the Pharisees. Like he just steps out and see. These guys are all dressed up there, checking out the newest rabbi. And he's like, yeah, guys. I'm telling you what, if you're not at least more righteous than these guys, you ain't going to heaven. Imagine you're standing there, you know, right off the bat, you're like, I'm going to kill him. And that's exactly, I mean, like, you, 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 you view a battle from there. They're always wanting to kill him. How can we arrest him? How can we, how, oh. but they're afraid of the crowds. They were the ones who were already making accusations to Jesus about destroying the law of Moses. But Jesus wanted them to understand, I'm the fulfillment of the law of Moses. And the entire Old Testament must be understood in the light of him. As a matter of fact, I challenge you sometime to just go back and begin to read the Old Testament. And as you read it, just go, I want, let me see if I can find Jesus. Forget where's Waldo, okay? Just see if you can find Jesus. And you will see, like, wow, David's talking about plucking a beard and, and about how oh, they, they, they would smote him and where he was born. And you just read and you start to see Jesus is in the Psalms. Jesus is in the law. Jesus is in the prophets. He, he's all through the whole, he's all through the Bible. The, the whole book hinges on Jesus Christ. And so Jesus begins, now he says, I'm going to discuss a couple of moral issues. And before he does that, notice the last thing he says in Matthew 5. We just read it. Verse 20 says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's absolutely making a comparison here. And what, he is, what is he getting at? He's saying Christian discipleship requires greater righteousness. Does that mean we elevate ourselves to think, I'm better than someone else. I'm more righteous than you are. No, what he was trying to get them to say is, yeah, yeah, these guys have been the benchmark for you. But that doesn't cut it. We're not aiming to, don't look around at some pastor, preacher, evangelist and say, well, I'm going to just try and be like that person. No, no, he's saying, aim to be like me. Because if you're just trying to, oh, I just want to be like that man or that woman, he's saying, listen, Greater Christian discipleship requires a certain level of righteousness, a commitment, a consecration, meaning I'm in this world and there's sin around me. There is, there is decay around me. There's darkness around me. But God called me to be a preservative. God called me to be a light. And in order to really make a difference, I can't live my life just like everyone else around me. 
And so if you're walking this way and you're like, I just don't want to be different than the people I work with. I don't want to be any different than my family. I don't want to be any different than my friends or my coworkers or the students at my, my class. Like, you're probably walking the wrong way. Because since the beginning of time, he's always, always, I'm talking about way back, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, he always, always had his people different. He had them eat different things, dress different, worship different, hold on to different uh, 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 days of worship. Like he always had things work different. And so today, it doesn't change. He still is saying, you're going to be in this world. And there's going to be darkness around you. It's going to be decay around you. But I'm calling you if you will commit to a level of consecration unto me. I want to use you to preserve and to bring light. And so he's, he starts by saying, you've got to be better than these guys. And then immediately he says in verse 21, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, let's start with what you're, the greatest teachers always do this. They start with what you're familiar with, and then they move into the new concept. Here's what you've heard. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, we've heard that. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Uh... If you call someone an idiot, got to love New Living Translation, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, which is what, something that they did, in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. He starts by saying, you've heard it said. Who, by whom? What was he talking about? You've heard it said. No, no doubt he's talking about the Pharisees. You've heard it said. These guys, this is what they're saying. You've heard it said. You've heard it taught. Religious leaders. But now he says, if you want to follow me, you're going to be more righteous than they are. You're going to follow me. You're, you're going to be more, you're going to be less concerned with all the dot in the I's and crossing the T's. And you're going to start being aware of heart issues. Because even when the infilling of the Spirit is getting ready to come, Ezekiel prophesies a stony heart of flesh will be removed. God wants to give us a new heart. Because the Spirit was not just consumed with what all the traditions were. The Spirit was consumed with changing us from the inside out. And so he says, if you want to follow me, you got to be more righteous. They say, but I say, and Jesus starts showing them a higher level of expectation. For most, think, think about it, for many, many people in this group hearing this message, this was their first interaction with Jesus Christ. This was it. I mean, like, you're, you showed up and like, wow, who's this rabbi? Who's this teacher? This is the first interaction with Jesus. And here he's saying, I have rewards and great things plans, but, but I want you to know there is a level of expectation that I have for your life. One that requires a commitment. One that requires a total consecration from everyone else around you. Even the people that say, well, this is all you need to do. This is all you need to do. That's what you've heard. But he's saying, if you're going to follow me, I have a certain demands and expectations of you that make you different than everyone else around you. You've heard it said, and this has been acceptable, but I'm going to take it a step, a step further. You've heard it said, and that's acceptable, but I'm going to take it a step further. And to this day... When you come face to face with Jesus Christ and you see his face and you hear his voice and you feel his touch and you're filled with his spirit, you better believe that he still, he still is going to expect some life changes. He still is going to call for some deeper commitments and, and deeper levels of consecration. 
even all these years later, here they come face to face with Jesus and he starts talking about commitment, consecration, and how he, he's, he's expecting his disciples to have that. When we get to the 2021 and 21st century, guess what? We're not crazy because we say God demands a certain level of commitment, a certain level of consecration. In order to fulfill his commission to be the light of the earth and the, and the salt of the earth and the light of the world, then we better be going way beyond just not murdering someone. I mean, that was the standard. Thou shalt not murder. All right, cool. Sounds easy enough. You've heard it said that, but I'm going to take it a step further. If you even start to dislike and hate somebody and talk under your breath and mumble about someone... You're already committing some murder in your heart, and you got to be aware of yourself. And the people in the audience are going, I would be willing to bet if I was a betting man that the Sunday attendance, it already dipped from that Sunday to the next. Because they're like, yeah, you know, the other rabbis, I thought they were tough. Man, this guy. These are going to be the new rules moving forward? I didn't read anything about rules. I read about Jesus saying, oh, I got great things planned. I just came out of the Beatitudes about inheriting the earth and obtaining mercy and being filled. Wow, that's, that, was, that was lovely. But now let me start to talk to you about the, the commitment. Let me start to talk to you about the consecration. The things that I don't care if you're in 2021 or the first century, they don't preach as well. Not for me and not even for Jesus Christ himself. So much that when he preaches commitment and consecration, at one point I referenced this, that he said, are you going to leave too? Because the crowd started to depart. Because commitment and consecration usually don't draw crowds. But Jesus says, you want to be salt in this world? You want to be light? I have an expectation of consecration. And he says, if you're going to preserve morality and light up darkness, then you better love the people around you. You better watch your mouths. Control your anger and forgive. The Pharisees were all about what the presentation at the altar. Jesus even tells a story about a widow who gave just two small coins. And the, the rich men, you know, they were coming in. <sighs> loving to hear that. Ching, 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 ching. They'd walk out. <sighs> wow. A lot lighter than when I carried it in. This bag was heavy today. And the widow comes in. Two mics. And he starts to say. Her sacrifice, right? The Pharisees would wear elaborate robes and pray loudly on the street corners. All about the way things appeared. And Jesus starts to put emphasis on transparency and humility. We still have to guard against this ourselves here. Jesus paints the altar as a place less about tradition and status and more about self-examination and humility. We fight against this sometimes, you know? Sometimes we hear these messages and we're like, man, I hope so-and-so's listening. Man, it's too bad sister so-and-so's not here. Hopefully brother and so-and-so's watching online. But see, true change comes when every message, every word before I examine it for you, I examine it for me. And he says, if you're bringing something to the altar, examine yourself. Not like the Pharisees examine the outside. But instead, look at your heart. If there's something towards someone else. And let me pause. Look at the wording in Matthew 5.23. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, 
I mean, look at this. You're presenting a sacrifice. They would come in. They would present their sacrifice at the altar. He says, if you're presenting your sacrifice at the altar, and you suddenly remember you have something against someone, what does that scripture say? That's an unbelievable standard. I can almost get with the, if you're at the altar and you remember you got something against someone, go leave and take care of it. That's not what the scripture says. That means if someone has something against me. So I bring my altar. Oh, I'm coming to worship. And I remember that I worked Sister Teresa really hard as the bookkeeper these last few weeks. And she is just frustrated. And I could tell that she's not happy with me. I need to, I need to set that down. I need to go find Sister Teresa. Wow. It's quite the standard. And then verse 24 says, leave your sacrifice at the altar. How many times, leave this up, how many times in scripture do we hear Jesus tell us to leave an altar? I can't really think of many. God's always drawing us to an altar and celebrating altars in the Old Testament. Now we're called to build altars. Very few times in scripture. I should have studied that. Does the Lord say, hey, you're at the altar ready to offer some, but I'm telling you, leave the altar. What? <laughs> leave the altar? Yeah, leave the altar. Because to me, what good is your worship unto me? If you have hatred and anger and bitterness in your heart towards someone, or you know that they're struggling with it somewhere else, and you're going to come up here and try and worship me when I'm aware, you're aware, and someone else might be aware that there is bitterness and anger and hatred and jealousy and whatever in the church. You better set that, that sacrifice down and go find someone because I'm a God of reconciliation. And it's not just reconciling you unto myself but reconciliation in the church. Because how can God flow? You read in the book of Acts, they were all in one accord, in one mind, in one place. And Peter standing up with the 11. God can't do the things he wants to do unless he can't have a book of Acts upper room experience until first in Matthew chapter 5, right at the beginning of the calling, he says, one thing you got to get down this is the first moral thing, really, that he's covering. He went through the Beatitudes, talked about the law, deals with the Pharisees, and this is like the first thing. He says, you know where I'm going to start when it talks about the heart issue? Let's start by talking about bitterness and hatred and forgiving one another. Because if you don't get this down, there won't be an upper room. Because if you don't get this down, there's not the book of Acts. Because if, if there's going to be jealousy and anger and bitterness and hatred in the church and unforgiveness, we don't have a book of Acts. The Spirit doesn't get outpoured. And so here we are in 2021. Does this still pertain? More than ever. We've got to be a unified church. Does that mean we always agree with everybody on everything and every topic? No. But that means where you still say, I just had a recently had a conversation with two pastors when I was at a conference, and all three of us had a different opinion on something. Imagine three, three pastors having a different opinion on something. We just sat and talked and tossed things out. We got done. We said, man, I love you guys. I love that we can just have a talk, and, and we don't agree on this. And at the end of the day, man, you guys are awesome. I love you. They're my, some of my closest friends. Because disagreement, when you disagree on something, that doesn't mean there's not unity. But we need to know when there's, I'm bringing my altar. Oh, God, I'm bringing my sacrifice. Wait, someone here is angry at me. They're jealous. They're bitter. They're, I hurt them. I did something. 
I'm not, we, we, we don't know, we don't know. But it's a twofold. It's your responsibility, my responsibility. I'm not going to sit and worship and ignore that. Because that's going to impact me, them, and the church. And so he says, right in the beginning, he says, you know what? Before we do anything else, I'm going to tell you to leave the altar. He's always drawing people to the altar. And now he says, leave the altar. Why? Because right off the bat, he wanted them to know, if you're going to be my disciple, it's not just going to be about the tradition and the day you worship and how big the animal and how many days old the animal is. The law, I'm not, I'm not destroying the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. The law brought you to this point where you knew the altar is a sacred place. You need to bring a sacrifice. There is going to be worship. But now, it's not about the eight days old and the circumcision. It's not all about all that stuff. Now, it's about what that represents. And now, it's about the fact that as a follower, as a disciple, I want you to begin to look inside. I didn't murder anybody. The rich young ruler, you just got to keep these commands. Oh, I've kept those since I was young. Because it was always about just those things. But now he's, he's emphasizing heart. Look inside. What's in your heart? What's in your mind? See, now we're looking at what's in your heart. Next week we start by looking at what's in your mind. And so he says, I want you to look at your heart. Matter of fact, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes as far as to say this. And I'm almost done. Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Woo! Thank God for that. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father won't forgive your sins. I mean, like, some people say the Bible's hard to understand. That is not one of the hard to understand verses. Yeah, but you don't know what they did or how many times they did it. That scripture says, if you refuse to forgive other people, your father might not possibly, he will not. So I've had a lot of people wrong me through the years, and I've wronged a lot of people. But I'll tell you this, I, I, no one has ever wronged me as many times, as often, or as bad as I have wronged Jesus. There's never been anybody, and, and I no doubt, some of you watching online sitting here, you have had some people do some terrible things to you. So I'm not belittling that you have not had real experiences and difficult, traumatic things. But no matter what, no one has done anything as bad to us as we have done to Jesus. Our sins put him on the cross. Our sins brought the weight of guilt and condemnation upon his shoulders as he bare that weight. And he, and he was nailed to that cross. So there is nothing. I will come to him every day and I will say, God, examine me. Help me to examine my heart. If there's bitterness, jealousy, anger, hatred, Lord, whatever it is, offense. Because if we're not careful, a simple offense. Oh, she offended me. He offended me. And if we're not careful, offense, it never stays offense. Offense turns into hurt feelings. Offense turns into bitterness. Then it turns into anger. Before you know it, you're actually hating someone. And it started with just, oh, she offended me. He offended me. But it was given space to grow inside, and we didn't pay attention to what was internal. We didn't pay attention. We just kept coming to the altar, and we kept coming and bringing our sacrifice. And we thought we were good Christians because we were at church when the doors were open, and we went to the altar every single time that the preachers started to stop preaching. We came to that altar, and so we just assumed we're good. I mean, I'm at church. I give tithes. I serve in ministry. I go to the altar. I do these things. I'm good. But here is where Jesus says, I understand he's not talking to some heathen backslider, some person that doesn't know him. He's talking to the person that's standing at the altar. And he says, set the sacrifice down and leave the altar. 
Because if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to want me to forgive your sins, then you, be, you need to be reconciled to your brother and sister too. And if there's things between you and you're aware of those things, don't even finish offering your sacrifice. Go handle that and then come back. Doesn't say go handle and leave. It says go handle and come back. And so I want God to, I, I need God to forgive me. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Just say these words with me. Say, Jesus, please forgive me the way I forgive others. Do you feel just a little nervous when you say that? It's like, oh, ooh. Hey. It's like, Jesus, forgive me. Ooh. I really want to pray that prayer with confidence. I'm getting there. We should be able to pray that with confidence. You know, I initially I was just I was going to dive into next to, to the next topic in the next chapter, but I just really feel like we got to stop here. I feel like the church will never accomplish our calling. We'll never have the outpouring of the Spirit. Like the book of Acts. We'll never have the signs, wonders, and miracles. If we don't have the unity. And we will never have the unity. If there's bitterness and unforgiveness in the atmosphere. It will affect. The church will never accomplish. With, that, with bitterness and offense. It, we will we'll never be what he called us to be. It will affect our own prayer life. Service and even offerings take a back seat to this issue. And tonight, I think that we need to stand. Because this message is just not for the person who's not here or the person who is behind you or next to you or in front of you. It's for me. And it's for you. It's for those of you here in person. It's for those of you watching online. And I think we need to start where Jesus started. And to say, hey, you've heard it said. Now it's time for the altar call. Now it's time to do this, 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 this. But I'm telling you the place to start is to examine your heart. Is to look inside and say, what's in here? God, before I say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Lord, please forgive me the way I forgive other people. If we start praying that regularly, I think we'll start examining our heart more. Because we're going to be going, okay, is there anybody I need to forgive is there anybody I need to forgive? Anybody I need to go to? Because I just prayed a really powerful prayer and I got to make sure that I'm right with other people. And so the altar is about to be open, but before you bring your sacrifice and lay it on the altar, it might be time to go and reach out to someone or find someone and not come at them attacking. Hey, you know what you did to me? <laughs> Probably not the best route. But to come with humility. See, I, I was examining my heart and I felt like there was something there. I don't want it to be there. You might not even be aware of this, but something that happened between us and I, I, and I just, just want to bring it to light because as that saying goes, bad things grow in the dark. But when you shine a light on it, it's like cockroaches. How's that for a good image? Get the cockroaches out of your heart by shining a light on it. That's probably the best closing line I've ever given in a sermon. So let's just find a place to pray. But if you have to handle something, you might want to do it before you find a place to pray. If everything's handled and you say, my heart's, my heart's, I might, I might not be perfect. But I don't got any bitterness or hatred in there. I'm, 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 I know that. Well, then it's time to come to an altar. But let's just right now begin to find a place to pray and examine our hearts.
Spirit.